Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's good to see you here today. Welcome on this uh, Sunday after Christmas. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that your Christmas season was a blessed one. Uh, I hope it was a relaxing Christmas season because it has been been anything but relaxing throughout the the, uh, month of December. Uh, But we are glad that you're here with us this morning. We welcome our guests, especially today. We're glad you're here and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. Let me remind everyone of the attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and fill them out, pass them down the aisle so others can do likewise. And go ahead and take your phone and check in here at uh, Community Baptist Church for our worship service. Let let people know that you're here. And a few things I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, thank you so much for the uh, on behalf of the staff here at Community Baptist Church for uh, for the, the generous gifts that, that you gave to us. We are grateful for your generosity, and most of, most of all, we are grateful for you. So thank you so much for that. We have some things uh, coming up. Uh, as you know, during the month of December, we've been uh, celebrating a December to Remember, celebrating 25 years uh, as a church, as a, existing as a church at Community Baptist Church. And um, our official uh, day was December the 11th, but we've spread that out throughout the whole month of December. And December just can't hold it all. We're going to let it spill over into January as well. Um, we will be having a banquet here at the church uh, on Saturday. That's January the 4th. That's this Saturday. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we hope that you can come for that and a special worship service on, on Sunday, January the 5th. As a part of the worship service on, Jan- on January 5th, we're going to be um, uh, revealing, unveiling, what, how do you, what do you call this? The pr- presenting? For the first time pr- ever. Debuting. Debuting. How about that? We're going to be debuting a, a commissioned choral work for the very first time ever. Um, and the title of this is Celebrate in One. Voice. Uh, I, I haven't heard it, but I've read the, the the lyrics, and they are great, folks. They are wonderful. And I under, they're going to practice after the worship service today. Anybody who would like to sing it, they're going to be practicing after the worship service today. So come and join the choir for for a day there. That, that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. Um, also, we're going to be taking a little time off here. We've been really busy. A lot of things have been going on throughout December and coming into January. Uh, so we're not going to be having Sunday school next Sunday. We're going to have the banquet on Saturday evening. We, so we're not going to be having any Sunday school on Sunday morning. Uh, but be here in time for the worship service. You don't want to miss that at all. And we will not be having any Wednesday um, programs, any Wednesday activities until uh, uh, January the 15th. And on that day, on that evening, we will begin a book study of a book uh, called Holy Envy. And if you would like to get one of those books ahead of time, then see Jika. She can get you one. The cost is $19, and we hope that you'll be there, uh, be here for that. And Bob, I understand you have something to say. Good morning. I think we have the same number of people here today, but more chairs. So we need to talk to somebody about that. Uh, 
On Felicia's uh, journey through the musical history of our church, today we land on Tommy Tate. There he is. Uh, let me do a little history on Tommy before I add a little personal note. <clears throat> um, uh, Tommy retired from the school system here in Henderson in 1977. He uh, then from 1977 to 1980. First of all, Tommy and Millie could not be here today, so. Uh, we can get by with most anything today. Uh, we'll be adjudicated from the uh, web page. Uh, from 1977 to 1980, Tommy was at the uh, uh, Lindsay Wilson College, Columbia, Kentucky, working in the choral department. In 1981, he arrived at IBT to work in music and youth. Uh, some of us were in his choir during those years. Jake and I are very familiar with Tommy. We came to know him very well during those years. And I don't think, maybe Mike, any of, any of you were in his choir at IBT? Okay. Uh, those were good years at IBT. Uh, from there, he uh, retired again. And then uh, in 1995 or so, when we began our church, we called upon Tommy to uh, help us out in the music department. Uh, he was very, uh, very kind, very gracious. He and Millie were, uh, were very supportive of our group. Uh, and we still remember his leadership and his guidance uh, in the choir during those days. So, Tommy, when you hear this, we, we want you to accept our gratitude for helping us in those early years. Uh, we were then, most of that time we were... How many of you remember Mike Reynolds' uh, clothes shop downtown, the home of the maroon leisure suit? Uh, we went directly to the basement there, found a couple of them. There's still a couple around. Uh, but uh, we won't forget Tommy. And uh, Tommy will be here Saturday for our banquet. And if you get a chance to say a word of appreciation to him, please do so. We appreciate Tommy, and uh, we're very thankful and very glad that he was a part of our church. Thank you. A little clarification. I just got a little clarification about Sunday school for next week. Um, we will be having coffee and donuts during the Sunday school hour next week. So come and enjoy the fellowship on Sunday morning, but we will not be having our Sunday school classes. Let me invite you now to stand and let's uh, greet each other. Let's share the love of Christ with one another and, and pass the peace of Christ during this Christmas season. Good morning. 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 Good morning.
just looking all through my As you know, uh, through our month of December and our December to remember, we've been having words of uh, uh, anniversary wishes from uh, different organizations in the community that Community Baptist Church partners with. Uh, and and it's, I think it says a lot about Community Baptist Church that some of these are from people that are a part of our church, like Brittany Smith and Larry McDowell and uh, Mary Dunham. And, and uh, they, they represent organizations in our community that, that do so many, many good things uh, for our community, uh, that better our community in many ways. And I am so proud of our affiliation with these organizations. And so thank you so much for what you do. And so come and let us hear from you, Brittany and, and Larry. 
Good morning. Good morning. Okay. I'll just talk like that. If I say it'll pick me up, but I feel like it, I should adjust a little bit, but there's a big note that says do not touch or adjust the mic. It's like this big. I won't touch it, Tim or Rudy. Um, so Community Baptist Church has a rich history with Habitat for Humanity here in Henderson. Um, the first thing I'd like to do is if you've ever volunteered for Habitat for Humanity, if you're able to, will you please stand up? Oh, keep standing. If you work for Habitat for Humanity currently or have ever worked for Habitat for Humanity, will you please stand up? Just yeah, you can do help too. Free free work we still consider work. And then if you've ever donated to Habitat for Humanity, will you please stand up? And that's what I thought. Pretty much the entire church has helped our affiliation and our affiliate in some way. And so you guys can go ahead and be seated. I wanted to tell you um, a couple stories. I like to tell stories. That's how I like to speak usually. And um, Habitat is no different. The way that I came to love Habitat was uh, through this church originally. Whenever I was in Bible school, we did a Bob the Builder theme. Kim, I don't know if you remember that. And um, they took us to a Habitat home. And the girl getting the home was about our age. And I thought that was so neat that all the people in the home were building the home for free and that they didn't get paid and that this family was so excited to get this Habitat home. Little did I know that that family that got that home were going to pay off their mortgage to me when I became the director of Habitat for Humanity, which was a huge, um, you know, kind of full circle thing for me and super exciting. And that is Miss Mary Sharp. If any of you in town know Miss Mary Sharp, that was that family. Um, The second um, people that I got to meet through Habitat um, that I worked with and that this church helped bring to us, first was Hugh Stone. When I started, Hugh Stone was kind of already working with us. He was retired, but if you guys know Hugh, he never retires. And Hugh had gone with our church to uh, Bayou Labatry um, and to Mississippi area to help clean up in Hurricane Katrina. And I guess he liked us enough and, um, you know, liked being part of the Habitat crew enough that he um, was the foreman the first couple of years that I was at Habitat. And we couldn't have made it through if Hugh hadn't worked with us. Well, then... Hugh, uh, Larry McDowell comes along, and Larry comes and sits in my office, and Larry says, hey, I'm retired, but Amy says i got to go do something for a little bit. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I said, well, we don't need a foreman right now. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have too many foremans, which is like never happened. But, um, you know, God knew what he was doing. The man that we thought was going to become our foreman had been training under Hugh, he unfortunately died of a heart attack. And so um, Hugh Stone was not able to take back over as our foreman. And I called Larry and said, hey, Larry, can you finish up one house for us? And Larry said, sure. I said, it's kind of a special home to Community Baptist Church as well. And he said, whose home is that? I said, it's Meredith Cook's home. Which if most of you know Meredith Cook, um, Meredith Cook is very special to Connie and her family and to Mike. And um, Meredith had been here many times with her son Cutler. 
And so uh, Larry helped us finish up Meredith's home. And in Meredith's letter, Meredith wrote that the two important things to her about her home, among many other things, were that Cutler um, would be able to have something that was his and understand how much home ownership really meant, that they would have spaghetti dinners. So her spaghetti must be fantastic. I've not had it. Is it really good? <laughs> Is it good, Sawyer? Her spaghetti's good. Sawyer says it's good. And um, that they would um, always have lost socks. But that's what she remembered from her childhood was that you could always only find one sock at your house. We all have that problem, I think. But those are the things that she was looking forward to and being into her own home. And since moving into her home, Meredith has um, had another baby and is just doing wonderfully. I watch her on Facebook all the time. And I was just telling Larry um, how exciting it was when they took their Christmas pictures. Um, I've been in her home. I I know that tree is in her habitat home. I know that Christmas morning is in their uh, habitat home living room. You know, so that brings joy to me every time I see it. Um, But one of the biggest things we're going to be doing is Christina Morgan, which a lot of you know. Um, Christina is a very uh, big part of this church. She is also, uh, shockingly, because this is Henderson, related to Kim and Sybil and many other people in the church. And Christina is going to be getting a Habitat home with us. We've already began Christina's home at 218 South Adams Street. And what we would like for you guys to do is help us to uh, welcome Christina into the homeownership journey. There's a picture of me and Christina and Christina's son, Hemi, um, out on the front table, and there are two Bibles. What Habitat does is we work with a church each time we build a home. And whenever we build those homes, we um, give those people a Bible at the end as part of their dedication. But I would like for you to do one of three things, and it is written out there, and there's cards out there too. Either highlight your your favorite Bible verse. I apologize, the only highlighter out there is pink. So guys, if you want to pick a yellow highlighter, you got to bring your own. Um, write a special message in either one of the Bibles. You can write on any page or anywhere that you wish. Or there are note cards that you can write on and slip into um, that Bible as well. And all that will stay with the Bible. And on the day that we do the dedication, that will be given to Christina and Hemi. And then they will be able to take those and read through those. And that helps our homeowners sometimes when they feel overwhelmed or, you know, um, just want to kind of have an uplifting message. So I ask that all of you um, do that over the next um, probably four weeks is about how long we'll leave those out there. So please, please stop by. And we really would like for you kids as well, if you want to have Miss Kim and Miss Teresa pull the Bibles, you guys are um, welcome to do the first bit of cards and stuff that will go in there. So speaking of Habitat and the future that we feel that this church has helped us have, I'm going to turn it over to our foreman, Larry McDowell, and Larry is going to talk about a few other things. Hmm. I forgot to mention one thing. Hold on. We do want to thank Dr. Hobbs, too. Sorry. Dr. Hobbs is our longest-running board member. He did six years when he very first got here. And then when I first started, I said, can you please come back on the board and give me a little guidance? And he said, okay. And you've been in town a total, is it of 15 years? He's only been in town a total of 15 years, and he's nearing being on our board for 12 of those years. So that shows you that that he really, really supports Habitat, and he has been an intricate part in our affiliate especially. I really am done now, Larry. You can go. (laughs) 
Good morning. Good morning. Brittany's already asked the individuals to stand up and have volunteers, and I want to thank you all for that too. But I do have a little bit of a story to tell you, and it is about me. I have a lot of people ask me, why do you do what you do at Habitat? If my mother and father was here and my grandparents, they would tell you I was inevitable to be a carpenter. Ever since my youth, sitting in my granddad's shop, pounding nails and scrap wood, I knew what I was going to be. Later in life, I had to come to meeting with God. Have you all ever had to come to Jesus meeting with God? It's a very serious meeting all the time, okay? But I asked God at that time, I said, God, can you make me a carpenter? He says, yeah, I can. But he says, there's a deal in this. Okay, so 40 years I've been, over 40 years I've been a carpenter and I've enjoyed every bit of it. The fact of going with the youth to eastern Kentucky and sharing time with them or going down to Mississippi and helping people who had been burdened with the hurricane. He told me, he says, that's the deal. You build houses, but when you get done, you go out and you help people who need help. I'm not done yet. But this story ain't about me. This story is about you all. Have you had your come to Jesus talk with God? God didn't put you on this earth. Just do what you do every day. He put you on this earth to help people. He wants you out there doing whatever service you can be. Sure, I'm a carpenter. I know a carpenter. You don't know about carpentry. But we have people every day come to Habitat and help us that are not carpenters. We have people that come and help us cook because we like to feed our volunteers. We have people that come in that's got better penmanship than I got and write thank you cards because I'm very stout about sending thank you to people who helps us. I will say this, we've had several groups come the last several weeks, all very honorable places that need your help. Habitat ain't the only one. I'm glad we're last on this list of many places. But I'm saying to you, you need to have your come to Jesus talk with God, and you need to go out and help these organizations. Not money. Financials is a big thing, but volunteering, helping people. You'll find out it's much better to give than it is to receive. And I find that out every day of my life. And I thank you.
kidding. <laughs> they said that you can touch the mic. I can't, though. You're fine. Go ahead. That's right. Go ahead. Read your prayer. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Come on. Jesus, thanks for loving all of us. For what? Say the last part. For goodness sake. Amen. Amen. here today, I promise. Okay. I'll move it back up. After the scholars were gone, God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream and commanded, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother under cover of darkness. They were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's death. This Egyptian exile fulfilled what Hosea had preached. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy, two years and older, and un- I'm sorry, two years old and under, who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. He determined that age after information he'd been given from the scholars. 
That's when Jeremiah's revelation was fulfilled. A sound was heard in Ramah, weeping and much lament. Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel refusing all solace. Her children gone, dead and buried. Later, when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Up take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those out to murder the child are dead. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother, and re-entered Israel. When he heard, though, that Archelaus had succeeded his father, Herod, as king in Judea, he was afraid to go there. But then Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee. On arrival, he settled in the village of Nazareth. This move was a fulfillment of the prophetic word, He shall be called a Nazarene. Thanks, sweetie. God.
Welcome to this Sunday after Christmas. Tis the season for returns, is it not? How many of you have already been back to the stores to return some uh, unwanted or impractical or ill-fitting Christmas present? I, I was reading something interesting about Costco recently, uh, which is the second largest retailer in the world after Walmart. But what you may not know about Costco is that it has one of the most generous return policies in the world. They will allow customers to return just about anything for a full refund. And as you can imagine, that kind of generosity can be easily abused. One website asked Costco employees to share some of the most outrageous returns they've ever received. And among the items listed were a used chicken coop, a selection of dead plants, a 10-year-old ping-pong table that was falling apart, and a dead Christmas tree that was returned during the first week of January. (laughs) Believe it or not, each of these customers got a full refund for their items. One one lady even returned an an empty bottle of wine because she said it gave her a headache. (laughs) Well, duh. (laughs) People are funny. Neil Davy, the editor of a customer service training website, tells about a man who tried to return a ham that was, in the customer's words, unreasonably salty. And so the store manager offered to a full refund on the ham, uh, um, on the return of the remaining of the ham. But the customer said that that the customer said that that was not possible. And when asked why, he said he had already eaten it. Apparently it wasn't unreasonably salty after all. Neil Davy also tells about a pet shop that refunded a, a customer after they complained that the hamster that they bought was neither friendly nor cuddly. I mean, who wants a hamster that's not friendly or cuddly? I went all the way around the world to get to this segue. <laughs> this morning's Bible passage is kind of like that hamster. For you see, it is neither friendly nor is it cuddly. As a matter of fact, this passage of Scripture is almost the anti-Christmas story. Christmas is supposed to be warm and fuzzy, isn't it? And I hope that it has been for you during this season. Christmas is supposed to be filled with beautiful sentiments and emotions. Cute little baby Jesus lying there in the manger and Mary and Joseph and the donkeys and the sheep standing by, the wise men bringing their gifts and following a star, the angels singing in the heavens and the shepherds rejoicing in the fields. It is a story that is almost tailor-made for the Hallmark Channel. But that's not the end of the story, is it? You see, before we can even get out of December, we run into this dark side of Christmas. Before Jesus was even born, the angel told Mary and Joseph that Jesus would come to save us from our sins. And today's story tells us that sin is ugly. Sin is evil. Sin is a rebellion against God that sets us on a collision course with death. 
And that warm and fuzzy Christmas baby came to save us from all of that. It's a pretty heavy load to put on the shoulders of a baby, isn't it? And Mary and and Jesus and Joseph discovered just how hard that is in today's passage of Scripture. You see, our Bible study, our Bible story for today took place when Jesus was about two years old. The Magi, who were astrologers, uh, probably from Persia, which is modern-day Iran, they had been searching for this new king of the Jews. And while they were following the super bright star that marked the presence of this new king, the Magi stopped and asked Herod, the present king of Judea, for directions. Ugh, big mistake. You ever ask directions from the wrong person? <laughs> Maybe somebody who had no more clue how to get somewhere than you did? Michael Keaton uh, told a story one time about a strange encounter that he had while he was filming. He was filming a movie in, in Glasgow, uh, Scotland. It seems that Keaton left a, a restaurant one evening and he couldn't find his hotel room. He couldn't find his hotel. He was totally lost. And so he stopped to ask a man who was walking along the street for directions. And it turned out this, that this man was totally intoxicated. But he assured Keaton that he could direct him to his hotel. He said, let me in your car and I'll show you. And so Keaton led him in his car. And this intoxicated man began to give Keaton these very detailed directions. And Keaton was relieved. The man seemed to know exactly where he was going, even though he was clearly intoxicated. And so Keaton followed the directions to a T, but it did not end well. You see, he ended up driving the man right up to the man's own home. (laughs) And the man got out of the car and said, thank you, and went inside. And Keaton was left there stranded, uh, still lost and still having no idea how to get back to his hotel. The moral of the story is be careful who you ask directions from. The Magi approached the wrong man for directions. King Herod practically licked his chops when he was asked to direct the Magi to the birthplace of the newborn king. Sure, I'll help you, he said. And once you find him, you should be sure to come back here and let me know where he is so that I can worship him too. Yeah, right. Evidently, worship and murder meant the same thing to Herod. So the Magi found Jesus and worshipped him, but then they went back home by a different route because they had been warned in a dream about Herod's plans. An angel also appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to take Mary and Jesus and flee to Egypt and stay there until further, further notice because Herod was planning to kill Jesus. And so Joseph obeyed. He bundled up Jesus and Mary and they became refugees in Egypt. In the meantime, King Herod ordered his soldiers to kill all of the baby boys in Bethlehem, aged two and under, in an attempt to eliminate the possibility of a king rising up to challenge Herod's rule. 
And then after Herod died, Joseph brought his family back to Judea, but out of fear of Herod's son, Archelaus, they settled down in an obscure little backwater town called Nazareth, which fulfilled a prophecy that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. During these weeks leading up to Christmas, we, we get all inspired by the Christmas story. The inspiring scripture, the songs, the candles, the preparation, they all work together to elicit joy and excitement and peace. But we forget what a huge burden it is to be human. You see, to be a human being is to experience all kinds of hurts and pain. And Christ came to this earth both to experience that pain and ultimately to deliver us from it. Jesus was barely able to walk when his family went on the run to become refugees in Egypt. And he experienced hardship all of his life including a horrible, horrible death. Today we are talking about incarnation. And that's a fancy theological word that basically means that God has taken on human flesh. The Latin word for flesh is carne. which And, and so what we have here is literally the enfleshment of God. That means that God did not just take on human characteristics. God took on the human condition, which includes all of the aches and pains and hunger and thirst and poverty and powerless that any human being may experience. So you see, Jesus didn't just look like us. He lived like us. And I know that there are some televangelists out there and prosperity gospel preachers who like to preach about the victorious Christian living. What does that look like? Being protected from all of our hardships? Always having enough of what you need? Getting all of your prayers answered in just the way you want them? Well, that's what they say. One televangelist recently made the news when he told his followers that Jesus had challenged him to raise $54 million to buy a new jet. And he claimed this jet would allow him to reach more people with his ministry. And he said, I really believe that if Jesus was physically on earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Really? Is that really how God works for those who love the Lord and who obey God? It's not how God works in most people's lives. That's not how things worked out in Jesus' life. My friends, I don't think I have to tell you that life is often hard. Sometimes it's unfair, even to the greatest of saints. Sometimes especially to the greatest of saints. Even to the perfect Son of God. And that's why there's a cross at the, at the center of our faith and not a crown. But incarnation, God in human flesh, tells us that God can work in the toughest of circumstances. Let's think about that for a moment. 
Jesus didn't have to come as a tiny baby. Jesus didn't have to be born into a poor family. If you rank the least powerful people on earth, you probably rank them in this order. A newborn baby, a refugee, and a person living in poverty. Well, guess what? Jesus fit all three. He chose to take on the human condition in the toughest circumstances possible. And why did He do that? He did that to show us that Emmanuel, God with us, means that God is with us in every circumstance. Everything. Pastor David Platt tells about a letter that he received from a woman in North Carolina. This woman's son had been born with cystic fibrosis, been in and out of the hospital all of his life. He got a double lung uh, transplant in 2008 and then developed pneumonia, which ended him up in the hospital near Platt's church in Birmingham. The woman and her son attended Platt's church while they were there and... And they just ha- he just happened to be preaching a series on suffering. And so the mother wrote to Platt saying, I told the Lord when we began this transplant journey that I was not looking forward to it. And if this was God's design for my son's life, then God would have to take me every step of the way. I have learned that God gives me a lantern that provides just enough light for the next step. But my flesh would like a floodlight that would allow me to see far ahead to where God is taking us. The desire of my son's heart is for God to be glorified in everything. And our whole family has drawn strength from seeing him suffer well. Thank you for reminding us to look for God's love, wisdom, mercy, and goodness as we walk through this time of suffering. Isn't that why Jesus came? To remind us to look for God's love and wisdom and mercy and goodness in every circumstance. Even the hard ones. And finally, the incarnation. God in human flesh tells us that God's ways can be trusted. Because God's love has been tested. Folks, it is a shallow love that has never been tested. We suffer for the ones that we love, and we trust the love of those who suffer with us. John Mark Hicks' son, Joshua, was born with San Filippo Syndrome, which is a genetic disorder that causes mental and, and physical deterioration. And his, in his book titled, Yet Will I Trust Him, John Mark says that one of, the, one of Joshua's greatest dreams in his childhood was to ride the school bus like his older, older sister. And so finally Joshua got his wish. He was big enough to ride the school bus. And as the school bus approached, Joshua literally was jumping and shouting for joy. And so John Mark was puzzled when a few weeks later, Joshua didn't get very excited about riding the school bus. In fact, he dragged his feet and tried to talk his parents out of sending him to school. And and then as the bus pulled away, John Mark realized why 
Joshua had lost his joy. You see, he heard the other, the older kids on the school bus making fun of Joshua. He saw his son stumble down the aisle looking for somebody to sit with, somebody who would allow him to sit with them. And, and it broke Hicks's heart. How could they treat his son this way because of his disability? And so Hicks immediately went into his house and fell on his knees and poured out his heartbreak and his anger to God. How could God let his son hurt like that? How could God let the strong bully the weak? How could God do this? Why, why couldn't Joshua be born healthy, healthy? Why does Joshua's short life have to be filled with such pain, such weakness and rejection? And then Hicks says that in the midst of his anguished prayer, he felt God say, I understand. They treated my son like that too. My friends, Jesus didn't just take on the human human characteristics. He took on the human condition. And He did this to show us that God can work in the hardest of circumstances and in the strangest of places. And through Jesus, God showed us that God's ways can be trusted. Because God's love has been tested. So just because you may find yourself in a place of confusion or loss or suffering doesn't mean that God's not working. The ending to the story of that first Christmas is neither friendly nor cuddly because Jesus took on weakness and frailty and poverty and persecution. The life of a refugee. He took on prison and suffering. He gave up his power and let the power of structures of the world oppress him and constrain his life to prove that the message and the power of God cannot be constrained. Look at the faithful believers in the Bibles who gave up their homes and, their, and left their families to go to a foreign land simply because God said, Go. Look at all the believers in the early church who were imprisoned and beaten, even killed for spreading the truth of Jesus' good news. Does that sound like victorious Christian living to you? No. That's what faithfulness looks like. That's what life looks like. The fact is that life is sometimes hard and unfair. But Jesus came to show us how to trust God no matter how much it hurts, how much life hurts. And to trust God for the future when God has promised that, that God is going to wipe every tear from our eyes and that there will be no more pain, no more death, no more mourning. And so as we leave this warm and fuzzy Hallmark Christmas season and as we enter into a new year, As we stand in line at the department stores and return Christmas gifts that didn't quite measure up, 
I pray that we will all remember that the greatest gift of all worked in a world of hardship and injustice. And what does that mean for us? It means that Emmanuel, God with us, reminds us that God will be with us in every circumstance, no matter how hard that circumstance may be. That's a comfort, isn't it? Thank God. Amen. That's good news. And you know what you do with good news? You tell it. Or you sing it. Let's do both. Let's go tell it on the mountain. Jesus, guide all of your words and thoughts with love. May the life of Jesus inspire you to follow his ways of peace, no matter how difficult life may become, until the day comes when the whole world is full of his glory. Amen. Amen.